welcome back to Yes X or No Audio. So, end of week 39. It is Sunday, October the 1st, just after 11pm here on the east coast of Australia. And we've just gone into summertime. So we're nine hours ahead of the central meridian time, a.k.a. GMT, a.k.a. UTC. So, uh, here we go. Ukraine slash Russia. Uh, from the anti-war list uh, in reverse time, so older stuff first. Polish PM tells Zelensky to never insult Poles again, and that's because there's a spat going down between the Poles and Mr. Zelensky, because the Poles have said we are not going to send any more troops or some equivalent thing, and Zelensky's a bit annoyed about this because they ain't got much stuff and they're losing the war and they really need all the help they can get. But of course the Poles are having a spot of bother because the local political party has gained a lot of traction and that's putting the ruling party in a lot of bother so they're having to run this uh, i think we'll just pull back a bit on the war thing and sorry nato we can't run your narratives for a while and yeah so never in top polls against this part of that moving right along republicans for ukraine advertisement says ukraine war is good because it weakens russia ho-hum and then we have zelensky says he met blackrock ceo and other finance leaders in u.s trip really so he's talking to the financial peeps. We understand that BlackRock and others are going to be making an awful lot of money out of buying up very cheap assets in Ukraine because they're all devalued because of the war. And this is just the spoils for the victors, who are the people who are making money out of the war, and not the people who are dying or winning or losing. Moving right along, first batch of US-made Abrams tanks arrive in Ukraine. Well, hoopla. Let's see what that means in a minute. U.S. announces $2 billion loan for Poland to spend on military. Ah, that's one of these military aid things. See the article I published a week or two back. This is all bullshit. There is no military aid. It's pre-fucking spent. <laughs> There's a list of stuff that they could buy with it, and it's all made by U.S. companies. So it's just shoveling money down the gullet of the military-industrial complex. Tell me something new. Biden administration not pushing Ukraine to hold elections, which tells us Everything we need to know. And then we get Ukraine claims it killed Russia's Black Sea commander in missile strike on Crimea, so reports Dave DeCamp, on the 25th. Hang on to that. And then we move on to US taxpayer dollars are subsidising small businesses in Ukraine, which is to say the corruption is running in both directions. <clears throat> then we have Russian Black Sea Sea Fleet Commander attends meeting after Ukraine claimed he was killed, Dave Camp reports, the day after on the 26th. So this is symbolic of the usual level of honesty and correct and accurate reporting that we're getting out of Kiev during this conflict, i.e. none. Then we have Kremlin says you Abrams tanks will burn in Ukraine. Tell me something new, Kremlin. All the rest of them have been burning too. And then we have Senate announces stopgap funding bill that includes $6.2 billion for Ukraine, which is absolutely normal because all of this cry about the US, um, you know, government is going to run out of money and stop. It happens every year and we're just sick of it. So this is the latest fluff, fluff, la. Anything can happen with the government. We don't know. We don't really care, but we'll keep funding the military industrial complex because that is what we do. Moving right along, Ukraine asks West to bomb drone factories in Iran and Syria. This is actually quite interesting and revealing because what Ukraine wants to do is get NATO involved even more than they already are. They want boots on the ground and make World War III and then everything will be a big, raging success. You idiots. Of course, now, when it says Ukraine asks West, 
well, what does that mean? And I think there was some document which is ascribed to the to the Ukrainian government or whatever funded US funded version of a government exists there at the moment, which means this is coming from essentially the State Department. The State Department is getting Ukraine to ask the West to bomb Iran and Syria. How about that? Iran and Syria. Not anybody else, just Iran and Syria. Interesting. Anyway, moving on. Russia says UK and US help coordinate attack on Crimea. Jeez, Kremlin, tell me something new. Uh, then we have House kills Republican Getz's amendment to ban transfer of cluster bombs to Ukraine. It's left out of the title. Right. So that tells us just what we learned above about the $6.2 billion. What the US government does is it funds the military-industrial com- complex, come rain or shine. And in this case, they don't give a shit about the fact but that for decades to come, children are going to die to picking, because of picking up unexploded ordnance, because this is what happens with cluster munitions. So when they tell you that they care about children, call them out. No, you did not stop the export of cluster munitions to Ukraine. You don't give a shit about kids. However, the blame is not only passed at the US government. The Russians have also been using cluster munitions, so boo to them as well. Moving right along, Russia has gained more territory this year than Ukraine, says David Kemp, reporting, I think it was a New York Times article, which tells us that the peeps at the New York Times, or whoever it was, have got out their GIS systems and done a little bit of mapping work and gone, oh shit, Ukraine is not winning. They're actually losing, even when they're running an offensive. This is not surprising because the Russians put up all these very well-developed defensive lines and the Ukrainians have been bashing their heads against that wall for a long time and getting nowhere. Moving right along, final article. Zelensky discusses joint weapons production with Western officials, which is to say he wants in on the military-industrial complex too. And that ends the anti-war news for Ukraine slash Russia this week. However, there's quite a bit for the Pacific China front, so let's just have a little look at that. US and talks with Vietnam on major weapons deal. Geez, the weapons people are really getting around these days. <laughs> Moving on. Biden hosts Pacific Island leaders as part of strategy against China. And this was quite interesting because there's an article somewhere where one of the uh, uh, Pacific Island leaders expressed a bit of... Um, uh, he was a little disappointed, let's put it, that Biden didn't turn up to said meeting. Anyway... Uh, Philippines wants to retake shoal from China in South China Sea. Well, good luck with that, I say. China says major drills around Taiwan were done to combat separatists. China, I advise against playing military drills, even though that's what everybody else is doing to you. I think it's not wise. Anyway, that's what they're doing. Blinken says China threatened US-led liberal world order. What? Hang on, Dave. Let's read that again. Blinken says China threatens US-led, quote, liberal world order, end quote. Hmm. I thought it was the uh, rules-based international order or something like that. I remember it was Rubio, <laughs> the rules-based international order. It, now it's not rules-based anymore. It's just liberal. It's the liberal world order. So we're changing the banner. On the old hunking, <laughs> the old junket that's sort of wobbling down the river. It's it's not rules-based anymore. It's liberal. Okay, thanks, Blinken. Good to know. And the problem is that China is threatening. What does that threat come? What is that threat that you are speaking of, Blinken? Is it got anything to do with China's economic power? Would that be it? 
so that they can undercut your deals through the IMF and the World Bank and so forth and make their own little trade deals with people and get out, help them get out from under your thumb. Hmm? That is the threat, is it not? It's an illiberal world order. Whatever. Australia forms a long-range missile brigade as part of military overhaul aimed at China. Because Australians are stupid. No, because the Australian government is a complete vassal state of the US. Well done, Australia. You've completely stuffed that one up. <clears throat> Moving along, we've got one article for Africa in the former, in inverted quotes, former French colonies. And it is, Macron says France will withdraw troops, comma, ambassador from Niger. Really? Troops and the ambassador? Ooh, troops, I'm sure they didn't want to do that, but withdrawing the ambassador, that's pretty simple. He's being sent back to ambassador training school because he failed to fucking tell anyone that there was going to be a military coup. Ooh, tick, 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 tick. Back to school for you, Mr. Ambassador. But nobody in France will be happy about the withdrawal of the troops. But what are they going to do? There's now a new four-national alliance that are saying, we will do collective defence against all foreign bullshittery. So... Damn it, the French are a little bit upset about this, I'm certain. Well, some of the French. So, and then we have uh, NATO on anything but Ukraine. We have Erdogan says Turkish approval of Sweden's NATO bid hinges on US F-16 sale, which is just another case of Erdogan playing both sides to get what the hell he can, and he wants some F-16s. So good luck to him. And in West Asia, also known as the Middle East, we have a few articles, or headlines at least. Israeli minister arrives in Saudi Arabia for first public visit amid normalisation talks. So that's quite interesting because Saudi Arabia is playing its cards on both sides. So they're selling their oil to China in Renminbi and therefore undercutting the petrodollar and also supplying uh, China with the uh, industrial resources it wants, i.e. oil. And they've also um, admitted Syria back into the Syrian, uh, the whatever it's called, the Arab League, uh, so they're, you know, in response to efforts by Russia and China. So they're engaging with the new world order, essentially, on in one. And then they're also maintaining their ties to some degree with the other side. So they're, they're it's a bit like Erdogan, really. Anyway, but of course, this is all tied up with Israel. So that's, uh, you know, interesting to see. First public visit. That's the key phrase there. Anyway, Iran says Netanyahu threatened nuclear attack in UN speech. That's the Iranians getting a little bit pissed off about the, you know, intemperate language that the uh, that Netanyahu chose to use. And then we have US expresses support for anti-Assad protesters in southern Syria. Well, strike me pink. They've still got a base down there at Al-Tanth, 10 years into the occup illegal occupation of uh, Syria. They've been funding and arming these radical jihadists and separatists and so forth, and they're still expressing support for anti-Assad protesters. Well, strike me pink. And then we have Saudi Arabia, China, to hold, check this out, second ever joint naval exercise. Where the hell are they going to hold a joint naval exercise? Persian Gulf? Really? What, just, just round the you know, round the little strait that's very tight that all the shipping has to go through from there, you know, just, just round the corner from Bahrain where the fifth fleet is? Woo, this will be interesting. And in the other voices section, I have a different organisational structure. Instead of doing things geographically, we're going to do it by thematic.
So uh, we start with narratives, and the first of which is retired officers still lying about Ukraine while media coming to grips with the unfolding debacle by Larry Johnson at Sonar 21. And this headline I put at the top because I think it sums up the news generally uh, for this week, which is that the MSM are starting to uh, not carry quite as much water for the for the uh, to be the narrative carriers that they usually are. There's a hole in my pocket, dear Liza, as it were. They're starting to realise that they can't really get away with keeping to till the same level of absolute hyperbolic boulder dash that they've been doing for so long. Of course, the um, ex-military uh, contractors that they've hired, these generals and so forth, they're still spouting absolute rubbish. Um, but... So this is the change that's happening, which is interesting. Uh, and we're seeing that also, just looking at the reception that Zelensky received in the US tells you a lot too. And they sort of given up on doing the rah, 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 sort of admitting a little bit of the truth. And as in the um, uh, GIS work, it's like, oh, we're looking at, you know, who's got more territory, you know, during this offensive stuff. And it's like, oh, dear, Russia's winning, etc. So the other article on the narrative front is interesting. It is by Andrei Martinov. Uh, and the title is, Meanwhile, RT continues, dot, dot, dot. Andrei Martinov likes dot, dot, dot in his headlines. Anyway, in this, he has a go at uh, some of the, in quotes, war correspondents that are employed by RT. So that's Russia Today, one of Russia's national broadcasters. And the reason I like this is because Andre's got plenty of nasty things to say about the twats from the uh, from the West, and particularly the MSM. But here he's being very even-handed and pointing out that Russia Today have also a bunch of idiots working for them. So there we go. Even-handed approach. So that's narratives. Moving on to the next thematic section, that's corruption. Could have put a lot more articles under this, but I thought these would do. So we have a sequence, a series that's going to be written by Patrick Lawrence for Consortium News. And the first one, and it's the, the title of the sequence, if you like, is Impeachment, which refers to the current process that's going on in the US Parliament. Uh, and the first uh, article is Innuendo and Evidence. So he looks at the evidence that's being rolled out in, in the Congress uh, about Biden and, and Son and how much, you know, it's just it's a bit beyond the pale, as it were. So if you're interested in that topic, follow uh, the impeachment series by Patrick Lawrence at Consortium News. Moving right along. US House rejects cluster bomb ban by Brett Wilkins. Uh, originally published at Consortium News, but here I saw it in Consortium News. Uh, so good on him. That's the follow-up on the uh, headline from David Camp. So a more detailed article with some more stuff in it. Check it out if you want. And then we have uh, one that I put under the media slash disinformation brigades uh, thematic headline, and that is cashing in again on Russell Brand. And this is by Jonathan Cook, published at Consortium News. Jonathan Cook is an excellent writer and is an expert, really, on Palestine, Israel. He lived uh, in Bethlehem or thereabouts for years and years and years. Um, so there's an interesting story here about why the hell they're going after Russell Brand. As far as I'm concerned, Brand is very much like Jimmy Dore. You know, opinions on things, expresses them in a way that some people find very amusing uh, and so forth. But, you know, and sometimes he's you know, crossing out, well outside of accepted uh, narrative points. But what's the problem with that? You know, free speech and all the above. Anyway, they're going after him. Oh, um, uh, so, yeah, uh, Jonathan Cook, great writer. So... 
Check that out. Uh, and then uh, we had a Nazi thing happen this week. You know, it's been happening all the time on uh, in Ukraine, but now it went to Canada. And we've got three articles here. We've got when Zelensky brought a Nazi to the Greek parliament. So this is sort of a background article by Joe Loria. Uh, and then the, the recent point is uh, happening in the Canadian parliament. Honoured Nazi exposes Canada's long-standing Ukraine policy. This is Max Blumenthal, published at Consortium News, but originally from the Grey Zone, of course. Uh, and then one more. Apologies in Canada for honouring Ukrainian Nazi by Jake Johnson. Uh, I found it at Consortium News, but originally it's from Common Dreams. And watch out for Jake Johnson. He makes a really big flow this week. Um, so that's uh, all about this, you know, honouring Nazis in the Canadian Parliament, which is really clever. Well done, Trudeau. And then under the torturers uh, thematic headline, we've got a couple of articles. Jake Johnson jumps in again with no justice for US tortured Iraqis. So looking at the fact that the Iraqis who were tortured in Guantanamo Bay have still yet to be any form of recompense or justice and so forth. Uh, and it was uh, John Kiriakou who led with the CIA's unpunished torturers at Consortium News. So interesting articles if you're interested in that sort of thing. The old uh, CIA torture program and the report on that, which was commissioned by uh, Feinstein, if I remember correctly, which is a bit of a brave move, actually. And then during doing that, uh, we found out that the CIA was spying on all of the computers from the, for the investigating committee and all the usual rah, rah, rah. Uh, but the one thing to remember about the whole CIA torture thing is that in terms of within the US, Kiriakou is the whistleblower because he was inside the CIA and you know, blew the whistle on it. But the person who revealed it first externally was, who I feature now and then, Craig Murray, the former ambassador for the UK in Uzbekistan back in 2005 six. Um, anyway, uh, under hypocrisy, as a thematic headline, we have World Bank pumps billions into fossil fuels by, you guess it, Jake Johnson. Again, saw it at Consortium News, originally from Common Dreams. Uh, moving along, we have an article under Ukraine as a thematic headline. It's called The UN and War in Ukraine by Medea Benjamin and Nicholas J.S. Davies. And they are a little bit like uh, Prashad in the way that they publish it. Very well referenced, very detailed. Uh, and it's just a fact, you know, well-supported fact-based uh, review of what's happened in Ukraine and the UN's response and involvement with it. So if you're interested in this sort of detailed, factual, historic analysis, or obviously only recent history, uh, watch out for Medea Benjamin and Nicholas J.S. Davies. Then we have Resource Wars. This is another masterpiece uh, by John Helmer. Long article and heaps and heaps of research and detail. And the title is a bit average, but it goes like this. Kickstart or kick over. Can the US defeat Russia in the lithium battery war? And the article talks about uh, some data that was put out by the US Geological Survey, who are a fantastic organisation. However, what they do in their survey of available lithium resources planetary-wide is they miss out stuff that's not under sort of US, the arms of the, the tentacles of the US empire. So they don't talk about the reserves that are sitting in Bolivia, for example, which is part of the stuff that went down there. Remember the coup and with the, uh, it basically it was a coup against Morales. He was ejected. He took Refuge. Eventually, he went via, I think it was uh, Chile and ends up in Mexico. 
uh, and part of that was the response by uh, Musk, who said, uh, we'll coo wherever we want to, you know, on Twitter, which is now purchased. How about that, right? So <clears throat> anyway, so this is, a, this is an article about the upcoming lithium resource war. That's pretty much already happening. So, but it's a it's a detailed look at that. So, if you're interested, go there. And then, under structural reform, we have the latest newsletter from the Tricontinental Institute for Social Research, which is published in Consortium News and Read, titled by Editor in Chief Joe Laurier to give it the title: "UK and France should relinquish permanent UN seats." So, it's Vijay Prashad looking at the UN and the structure of it, and particularly the five permanent seats which contain veto powers handed out to the victors of the Second World War and how that's used in the UN and how it's a bit of an anachronism these days, given that the power structures in the world are changing a lot with the rising global south. So have a look at that if you're interested in these sorts of things. And then uh, under interviews, I've got a whack of them uh, because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. The first is geopolitical, and we'll come back to geopolitical, and particularly geopolitical economic. So this one is BRICS or NATO, G20 or G77, summit marks... Summits mark rapidly changing world order, and it's the program by Desayan Hudson, which happens every week or fortnight at uh, Geopolitical Economy, which is the rebranded publication by Ben Norton. And this week they have Pepe Escobar on to talk about specifically the economic forum that happened in Vladivostok recently, which was virtually unreported in Western media. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, check it out. Um, I like hearing from Escobar, and particularly uh, Hudson and Desai are wonderful uh, economists, and so it's a it's a good time all round. There are a couple of interviews by Scott Horton on The Scott Horton Show which are of potential interest. The first is with Ken Silver. On The title is Ken Silver on FBI Created Terrorist Plots and Nazi Groups. And the... 
the way I look at the background to this is that it has been revealed on multiple occasions that the FBI have discovered uh, groups that are planning on uh, conducting essentially terrorist activity. Uh, they found out about these things and then in some cases uh, they have assisted these people uh, by providing material support. Uh, so uh, weaponry or uh, blanks or etc. with the purpose of encouraging them to carry out said attack and foiling it just before the attack is uh, carried out uh, so that then they can go, oh look, we caught these terrorists. And in my opinion, this is a response to the threat which was posed by the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, which was created after the 9-11 attacks. Basically, it's a turf war between a new government department, <laughs> DHS, and the FBI. And so this is one way in which the FBI responded to. That's also a response to the narrative of the war on terror and so forth. So it, roll, it rolls up in both of these ways. So that's that interview with uh, Ken Silver, and it relates predominantly to a recent, uh, you know, foiling of a terrorist plot by the FBI. And so, but that's the background as far as I see it. Uh, the next interview by Scott Horton is with Trevor Tim, the executive director of the Freedom of the Press Foundation, uh, who are an interesting organisation whose funding is not entirely obvious, even when you look through the 990. IRS form declarations. They're very, you know, public and, and honest and transparent in declaring their stuff, but it's very hard to work through. Anyway, they certainly received a lot of funding from Open Whisper Systems, and that is Moxie Marlin, Spike, and Signal. So that money has come through from Signal. So it's quite, it's a bit, it's a little uh, unclear, a little muddy, shall we say. Anyway, I'm certainly a supporter of generally what they're doing in advocating for press freedom and. Uh, post the Snowden revelations, they put a lot of effort, they were created then, and put a lot of effort into training journalists in sort of digital surveillance resistance. So using things like Signal, obviously, uh, and uh, things like SecureJock, which uh, is a technology derivative of works by Aaron Schwartz. So there he is again. Anyway, interesting group. And so that's an interview... Uh, that Horton is conduct, conducts with Tim, and it looks at, uh, here's the title, Trevor Tim on Assange, the Espionage Act, and growing pressure from the Australians. So it's an update on the Assange front from Trevor Tim. And then we move on to where did it all go wrong for the internet, in which Robert Bob Shear interviews Max Blumenthal. And so this is an examination of the tension between the current gatekeepers of uh, the media, that being, you know, whatever you call them, the media giants of, you know, Facebook and Alphabet and whatever, um, and the sort of persecution of independent media that's happened over the last decade, really. Uh, and that all began, if one remembers, <laughs> back with Wiki, WikiLeaks, right? The the PayPal and, and uh, MasterCard funding blocks, the uh, removal of their website, the DNS for it from the whole thing, which is a precursor to what happened um, with the removal of the Russian media during the Ukrainian proxy war. It's a, so there's an interesting background to this whole thing. And there was an excellent discussion between Shia, who interviewed Joe Loria, editor-in-chief of Consortium News, and this is a year or so ago. So this is sort of a continuation of that theme. Uh, with Max Blumenthal, who, being the editor-in-chief uh, of The Grey Zone, an organisation he set up, has understood 
the sorts of tactics that are um, delivered against these independent media outlets. So I'm sure that'll be an interesting discussion between Shear and Blumenthal. And following that theme, there is another interview which is interesting, and that is between uh, Ashran uh, Ratansi from Going Underground TV and Clayton Morris uh, of Redacted. And the topic of discussion there is the persecution of Russell Brand. And so this is about um, uh, the demolition of the concept of innocent until proven guilty. You get trial by media before you get trial in the courts. And this is another of the tactics that are used by the gatekeepers uh, and the the forces behind them, the military intelligence people and whatever, to uh, sideline... Uh, independent voices. I I look at uh, Russell Brand a little like I look at um, uh, Jimmy Dore, for example. So uh, a commentator who wanders off the range and talks about things outside the accepted narrative space, often in a humorous manner that a lot of people find interesting and therefore they develop uh, quite a following. And what the hell do the uh, the narrative managers do to solve this problem? So it's another examination of the same sort of tactics used by the narrative managers and controllers, and the you know the current alliance between the U.S. government and these these sort of uh, censorship first one one level removes censorship arms and the tactics they use. So it's just the same thing. However, we finish with something I think is very interesting, and I have taken great interest in over the years. This is Chris Hedges. He's interviewing two people who've released a book. And this is an extension of an old topic. And so I'm giving you both a reference to the recent episode of the Chris Hedges report and his interview with these two um, authors and of the new book, but also the background to it. So back in 2014, Chris Hedges interviewed Sheldon Wallen, who's a now deceased uh, US uh, economic uh, academic. And he published a book titled Inverted Totalitarianism, which is an examination of the way in which the US has allied itself with its, one could say, imperial corporate forces uh, and how this has played out. So this was work that was done by Wallen. Uh, Chris Hedges found it very interesting, and there is a three-hour interview that Hedges could conducted with Wallen. There are also numerous articles that Hedges has published on this topic, and I'm giving you access to the reference to the three-hour interview, and the uh, which is from 2014, and there is a, an article a year later uh, published by Hedges, which, if my memory serves me correctly, is approximately uh, co-temperate with the death of Wallen. Anyway, so that's the background to this and the most recent uh, episode of it. I find this very interesting, and if you do have a look, it takes a bit of time to to investigate this, but I think that uh, Wolin's work is, of course, he's an academic, it's very detailed, uh, and so it's deserving of some investigation, if you have the time. Lastly, I'm going to make a little plug. Below this episode, you will see a donate button, or no, actually, a link to a site, which is a, you know, get me coffee where you can donate. And the sole purpose of this fundraising is to purchase a better microphone. Because right now, 
I don't have a place to record which is sufficiently quiet, which means I'm having to use these noise-cancelling headphones, and what that means is you hear all of my breaths and so forth. I need a better microphone. So that's the purpose of that, and I would like to do a shout-out to one of the my uh, readers who has pledged a little towards that, which is very nice of him. Uh, so if you would like to contribute towards the purchasing of said microphone so that I can in- improve the audio quality uh, of these podcasts, I would very much appreciate it. Uh, that is the entire purpose of the, uh, the fundraising, and anything that is left over will sit <laughs> waiting for the next announced purpose of said funds. Thank you very much. Hope you're having a good one, wherever you are. Catch you next week. Until next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.